Senator Bernie Sanders, loonbag of Vermont, has been the leading voice in the United States for socialized health care. His call for such a policy amounts to this tweet he issued last night, quote, people who can't afford health care do not deserve to die. This, of course, has nothing to do with policy and everything to do with an immature worldview that suggests that government can tame every unfairness in life. Of course, no one deserves to die because they can't afford health care, but no one deserves to die for any reason other than their own evil criminality. People don't deserve to die of cancer. People don't deserve to die in car accidents. People don't deserve to die peacefully in their beds in old age. As Clint Eastwood says in Unforgiven, deserves got nothing to do with it. The question in public policy isn't one of motivation. Nobody right or left believes that poor, sick people deserve to die. The question is how to best increase access to health care. The right believes that increase in supply is necessary in order to create competition and therefore lower cost and increase quality. This means deregulation. The left believes that current supply must be redistributed. One of these views in every single area of life has generated more access to wealth and health. One of these views has generated less. If there is a question of morality attendant to health care, it isn't whether people deserve death based on cost, but whether health care providers can be forced to serve people at a loss and whether doing so will help more patients in the long run. But Sanders' simplistic kindergarten sloganeering convinces a lot of people who refuse to acknowledge the decent intentions of their ideological opponents. It's not designed to achieve better health care. It's designed to slander people who disagree about the method for achieving better health care without violating the rights of others. I'm Ben Shapiro. This is The Ben Shapiro Show. Okay, so we have a lot to get to today. Up to and including President Trump is now tweeting about Amazon, and we're going to talk about the media fight, and we're going to talk about Trump Care. So lots and lots of things to talk about. But before we get to any of that, I first want to say thank you to our sponsors over at Legacy Box. So if you are looking to preserve your memories, your childhood memories, if you want your parents to preserve their memories, then you need to go to Legacy Box right now. I'm a stickler for this sort of thing. Uh, a few years ago, I used to help older folks actually write their memoirs because I thought it was so important to preserve their memories for future generations because Without those memories, you really have not much left. What Legacy Box does, it allows you to take all of those old photos and all of those old tapes and translate those into a usable format so that you can access them anytime you want. You take a, well, you go to Legacy Box and then you, they actually send you a box and you load the box with your old tapes and your films and your pictures and your audio recordings and you send it back to them. And then in a couple of weeks, you get them back on a DVD or a convenient thumb drive so you can watch them, you can share them, you can relive them. Legacy Box takes care of, it takes care of everything from beginning to end. They provide updates every step of the process, every single piece that you send them. They, they put a barcode on there so you can trace where it is in the process. Right now, if you go to LegacyBox.com slash Ben, you get a 40% discount on your order. LegacyBox.com slash Ben, you get that 40% discount on your order. And again, this is something you're definitely going to want to do. It makes a great gift for a parent or a loved one. Uh, It ensures that your tapes aren't moldering out there in the garage, getting ruined by the possibility of flood or termites or something. And that's why you need LegacyBox.com. So go to LegacyBox.com slash Ben and get that 40% discount on your order. Terrific, terrific service. So glad they exist. And uh, of course, use that LegacyBox.com slash Ben so that they know that we sent you. Okay, so yesterday there was a lot of hubbub over the sort of media fight that took place at the White House. So Trump care and all of its vagaries have now receded into the background because, honestly, who wants to talk about all of the infighting over what amounts to uh, a significant cut to Medicaid's future growth, but accepts Obamacare's central premise? I mean, it's, like nobody cares about the details of Obamacare. 
All they know is that they don't like whoever touches it, which is why the polls today are showing 12% of Americans in favor of the Senate health care version of Trump care. So we'll get to all of the, the hubbub surrounding that, but the truth is both the right and the left would much prefer, it's much more entertaining, to talk about the media fights that are currently happening. So Trump keeps saying that the media are fake news, and the news keeps saying that Trump is a fake president. So uh, both of them are, uh, are equally, well, I wouldn't say they're equally wrong. I think that the news is more fake than Trump is a fake president. Obviously, Trump is the president, and the media do sometimes report fake news. But what you really have right now is this piece of kabuki theater where the only people who benefit are the partisans on both sides. And I'm speaking as someone who is quite partisan, right? I'm a conservative. I'm very partisan on behalf of my viewpoint. But this whole kind of ridiculous play theater slap fight between the media and Trump is silly. And, and the reason it's silly is because the media are going to do what the media are going to do. Trump's going to do what Trump is going to do. None of this is going to change. Trump wins points from smacking the media around. The media win points by smacking Trump around. And nothing changes. And then we just bitch about it. That's basically the way this dynamic works. So yesterday was a perfect example of this. You have Sarah Huckabee Sanders, who is in for Sean Spicer. Sean Spicer has been relegated to the outhouse. He's been locked there, actually, uh, by President Trump after Sean Spicer didn't do a good enough job. First, he relegated him to the bushes. Then he relegated him to the outhouse. So Sarah Huckabee Sanders has now taken his place in the White House press briefing room. And they actually were allowed to tape this press briefing, which is which is nice. I mean, it's nice to be able to see this stuff visually. So Sarah Huckabee Sanders is the is doing this. And, um, and she's asked about a story we discussed at length yesterday, the CNN story that accused Anthony Scaramucci, who's a Trump associate, of associating with evil Russian banks. And it turned out that that story was complete crap. There was nothing of substance to it. CNN had to retract the story. They fired the reporters who were involved in the story. And so Sarah Huckabee Sanders is asked about this, and she just uses it as an opportunity, a, a legit opportunity, to go after the press with both barrels. Here she goes. Uh, I, I don't know that it's that the response isn't good enough for the pre president. Uh, I think it's the constant barrage of fake news directed at this president, probably, that uh, has garnered a lot of his frustration. Um, you point to that report. Uh, there are multiple other instances where uh, that outlet that you referenced has been repeatedly wrong and had to point that out or be corrected. Uh, there's a video circulating now, whether it's accurate or not. Uh, I don't know, but I would encourage everybody in this room and, frankly, everybody across the country to take a look at it. Uh, I think if it is accurate, I think it's a disgrace to all of media, to all of journalism. I think that we have gone to a place where uh, if the media can't be trusted to report the news, then that's a dangerous place for America. And I think if okay, that is so the place that she's totally right about all of this, right? She's totally right about all of this. Everything Sarah Huckabee Sanders says right here about the media's coverage of Trump is exactly right. They've, they've put it forward a bunch of fake news. They've violated their own journalistic standards in order to do so. They're out to attack Trump. They're out to get Trump. They've been pushing this Trump-Russia collusion hoax for a year now. Uh, even if Russia interfered in the election, which they probably did, and when I say probably, I mean they almost certainly did because I haven't seen the underlying evidence, but I believe our intel community, which says that they did. Uh, but even if that happened, there's no suggestion evidentiarily that the Trump campaign colluded with Russia. At least we haven't seen anything yet. So it's a year of hubbub for ratings. And then, of course, she's referring back to the James O'Keefe video of, uh, of a CNN producer talking about how CNN had been pumping up the Trump-Russia stuff in order to generate future ratings, in order to generate better ratings. So she's totally right about all of this. And then she goes too far. Here's what Sarah Huckabee Sanders says next. 
If we make the slightest mistake, the slightest word is off, it is uh, just an absolute tirade from a lot of people in this room. But news outlets get to go on day after day and cite unnamed sources, use uh, stories without sources, have, uh, you know, you mentioned the Scaramucci story where they had to have reporters resign. Okay, so again, this part is now a little bit crazy because it's, it's one thing to say that they report stuff, violate their own ethical standards and all that. I totally agree. Totally agree. The media is wildly biased. They hate Trump and they're out to get Trump. All true. All true. But then when she says, well, if we get anything a little bit wrong, everybody goes crazy. Well, you are the White House. You are the president. I mean, not to, not to uh, try to be too fair-minded here, but there were those of us on the right who were pretty critical of President Obama. I remember because I was one of them, right? I mean, we were on top of President Obama as well. We should have been. The president of the United States deserves scrutiny. And then she says news outlets go on day after day, and they cite unnamed sources. They use stories without sources. Okay, again, the White House does this too. The White House leaks routinely to the press. The White House uses anonymous sources. This is a little bit hypocritical. And then she says that the CNN story, they had to have reporters resign. Well, that conflicts with the idea that news outlets don't see any ramifications for what they do, right? I mean, if news outlets have to fire their reporters because of the blowback after they write a bad story, that is a, that is a ramification. That is a form of accountability. You may not think it's enough. You may think they're pressured into it, but it doesn't really matter. Bottom line is to pretend the media is not being held accountable by people like me, people like you who watch the show, people like the president. Uh, is just silly. Okay, so, but Sarah Huckabee Sanders is into scoring points because the Trump administration would rather score points off the media than actually promulgate good policy, at least openly. Like, some good policy is happening, but it's all happening behind the scenes. So what does this do? This prompts a guy named Brian Karam of Sentinel Newspapers, who I guess is a Playboy reporter. He's a reporter for Playboy. Um, And I would make a joke about a Playboy reporter being in the White House briefing room asking questions, except that we've had a number of weird people in the White House briefing room asking questions. And President Trump has a picture of himself on the cover of Playboy in his office, so I can't really mock that too much. Anyway, Brian of Sentinel Newspapers, he then pipes up and he goes on just this rant against Sarah Huckabee Sanders in the White House. You're inflaming everybody right here, right now with those words. This administration has done that as well. Why in the name of heavens, any one of us, right, are replaceable, and any one of us, if we don't get it right, the audience has the opportunity to turn the channel or not read us. I think I you think, have been elected to serve for four years at least. There's no option other than that. We're I here think, to ask you questions. Right. We're here to provide the answers. And what you just did is inflammatory to people all over the country who look at it and say, see, once again, the president's right and everybody else out here is fake media. And everybody in this room is only trying to do their job. Okay, so th- he says this, and this, of course, goes viral. The entire media says, yes, he's our champion now. He's our champion. Yeah, except for the fact that when he says, everybody's just here trying to do their job. We're all just trying to do our job. Yes, but what you consider your job to be is getting Trump, right? I mean, your job is not just to cover the news for a lot of the media. The job is to get Trump, to get that moment where he can finally fulfill that leftist fantasy that Trump is going to be thrown out on his ample posterior right out of the White House and into prison, right? So th- this, who does this benefit? Okay, who does this benefit? Well... First and foremost, it benefits this reporter who gets to become a hero on MSNBC. He goes on MSNBC right after this, and he talks about how brave he was. Now, again, I think that this is not particularly brave because bravery entails undergoing some sort of risk. Okay, saying, so, saying things to Sarah Huckabee Sanders is not exactly like Martin Luther King in Selma brave. It's mostly like you mouthing off and then getting celebrated on MSNBC. 
which is which is virtue signaling. Anyway, here he is being feeded. They basically give him a medal over on MSNBC. This guy. Are they truth tellers? Uh, th- th- that's. That's why we're here, is to try and find out. And there have been, what got me, when you ask about what uh, got me rankled, it's the fact that they sit there and say, um, we're dishonest in the media, and we're being dishonest. Well, there's consequences, but I have yet to hear anyone from this administration even admit a mistake. And so it's a little hard to take, because the people in that room I have a healthy respect for. I've been coming and going in this room since, off and on since, the Reagan administration, and there were, you know, those people I had held up as, as heroes, some of the people that were here. In addition, there are reporters who have given their lives f- to get news to the public, and to be just labeled as dishonest and fake media rankles me. And uh, I, I, you know, maybe I lost my temper at that moment, but it, uh, it was a long time coming. It was six months. I would like to see that taken off the uh in just taking off the table and let us talk about real issues let us ask our questions quit hitting us with fake media i mean everyone including breitbart that's in there has been respectful they've asked tough questions and the administration has not often been forthcoming with uh what i would say are factual answers so yeah i'm a little concerned uh-huh. about it. and then chris oh yeah hero unbelievable i'm say chris matthews i'm say i love it look at this guy i think we should yeah we should give him a Honorary burial button, Arlington National Cemetery. Ah, hero, hero. Okay, so th- this is, so who benefits? First of all, the media benefit from this perception that they are speaking truth to power, right? This goes all the way back to Sam Donaldson doing the same thing with Ronald Reagan back in the 80s. Uh, and then who else benefits? Well, Trump benefits, obviously, because we on the right, we hate the media. We think the media are totally full of crap. But does anyone benefit in terms of policy? Well, not really, because it turns out all the acolytes of the media don't trust Trump. All the acolytes of Trump don't trust the media. And so we have nothing to talk about, really. And the fact is that bad media performance happens on both sides. It does happen on both sides. Like, I would prefer, I said this before, I've said this many times, I would prefer a left media to cover Trump and a right media to cover Obama. Because whoever is most in opposition to the president seems to me the person who is most likely to actually keep that president being held responsible. Like, I would rather have tough questions being asked than this question from LifeSet. LifeSet is a Laura Ingram's publication. Here's a LifeSet reporter asking a question yesterday. Given the news about CNN's uh, erroneous story about Anthony Scaramucci, does the White House believe there are other Russia-related stories from major outlets that have not been retracted and are just as false, including the February 14th story in the New York Times about collusion between the Trump campaign and Russia? which James Comey called into question, which many believe the CNN story was based upon. Does the White House now believe the news media have an obligation to review stories on the Russian uh, Trump uh, issue and retract questionably sourced stories? Okay, I mean, it's, the it's ridiculous. He, he, here's a softball, Sarah. Just enjoy, right? Hey, name all the stories you think have been bad over the past year. Again, the, the, all the, what we have to understand as consumers of media is the media have an agenda, Trump has an agenda, and their real agenda here is to play, play the slap fight game where both of them win points off of each other. That doesn't mean you should trust the media over Trump. It doesn't mean you should trust Trump over the media. It means you should trust the facts for the facts and understand the game that's being played on both sides is much more about scoring points than it is about actually achieving truth. Well, before we go any further, I want to say thank you to our sponsors over at Indochino. So... If you want a suit that just looks the best a suit can look, you need to go over to Indochino. That's because Indochino does custom tailored suits. We're not talking about they take a suit off the rack and they make a few changes to it. We're talking about they make the suit from scratch for you. 
They make it easy to get a perfectly tailored suit at a fantastic price. You can choose the fabric. I went into their their showroom over in Beverly Hills. You can choose from hundreds of top quality fabrics. Personalize your suit just the way that you want it for work, for a wedding, for any special occasion. You can either visit the showroom. They have them in a lot of major cities. Or you can shop online at Indochino.com. You pick your fabric. You pick your customizations, lapels, pleats, jacket linings. It's really a lot of fun. And then you submit your measurements. You place your order, and in a few weeks, it comes right to you. And then if they get it wrong, then they make it right. So this week, my listeners can get any premium Indochino suit for just $379 at Indochino.com when entering Shapiro at checkout. Again, that's Indochino, I-N-D-O-C-H-I-N-O.com when you enter Shapiro at checkout. That's 50% off the regular price for a made-to-measure premium suit. Again, shipping is free, Indochino.com. Promo code Shapiro. And again, you get any premium suit for $379 plus free shipping. Listen, you can get an off-the-rack suit at like Macy's for, and it probably costs more money than that. Here you get one that is specifically tailored to you, so it fits you perfectly. That's what Indochino is there for. Uh, I have an Indochino suit. It is my favorite suit. It is fantastic. Indochino.com. And of course, use that promo code, and that will ensure that you are uh, not, not only do they know that we sent you, but also it ensures that you get that 50% off the regular price for a made-to-measure premium suit. So 379 bucks. Enter Shapiro at checkout. Again, Shapiro at checkout. Okay, so speaking of media bias, there are areas where I think that the media bias is a little more insidious, believe it or not, than even in politics. So I am an advocate of the position that Andrew Breitbart used to take uh, which is that culture is upstream of politics, meaning that more people are impacted by their views on politics by culture than they are by actual politics. Like, there's a select group of people who listen to this show, and it's, thank God, big and growing, um, but it is not nearly the number of people who watch sports, for example, or the number of people who watch entertainment TV. Uh, the fact is that if you look at views, even among Republicans, from the time that Modern Family premiered on gay marriage to now, there's like a 30-point drop in the number of people who disapproved of gay marriage in the Republican community between Modern Family premiering and now because people tend to follow culture. People tend to imitate culture and imbibe culture. This is where the media bias is really the worst, because in politics, there are some checking mechanisms, right? I am a check and balance on the media. President Trump is a check and balance on the media. Sarah Huckabee Sanders is a check and balance on the media. You, yourself, as a consumer, you are aware of media bias, so you are now a check and balance on the media. This is not true when it comes to cultural areas. When it comes to cultural areas, there is no check and balance, because most of us don't even want to think about the fact that the left is infiltrating all of the areas of culture that we inhabit and trying to twist them to their own viewpoint. So for me, one of my pet peeves is sports. So I am a huge sports fan. I particularly enjoy baseball and basketball, although I do like football as well. But the three big sports are, are my sports. I wish I knew more about hockey because I've been to a couple of hockey games and they're wonderful, but I don't know enough about it to be a big fan. Uh, I don't know enough of the players. I'd really have to sort of engross myself in it. But in any case, uh, I'm also a tennis fan. So I like tennis. And there's been a controversy that is now broken out that is just ridiculous and stupid over Serena Williams. So we talked about this a little bit yesterday. John McEnroe, who's, of course, one of the great men's players of all time, he came out and he said, Serena Williams is a great player, but Serena Williams is not as good as men, right? Serena Williams is a girl. And that prompted Serena Williams to begin tweeting about it because she was now very, 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 very offended. And this just demonstrates, again, how things work in the, in the sports media. Everything has to be politicized. So she tweets out, Dear John, I adore and respect you, but please keep me out of your statements that are not factually based. I've never played anyone ranked there, nor do I have time. Respect me and my privacy as I'm trying to have a baby. Good day, sir. I don't understand what her having a baby has to do with the question. He was asked a direct question. We played it yesterday. He was asked a direct question about where Serena would rank because he said she is the best female player of all time. And people said, why not the best player of all time? And then the media um, asks him to apologize. So here are the CBS anchors who are angry at McEnroe asking him to apologize for it. 
I felt the need. Um, however, unfortunately, I'm prob- probably to defend myself. I don't know. Just say what I really felt. I mean, which is about what I think she would be. I think you're referring to the fact that I said she'd be about 700 right. in the world. Yeah. Right. I've got a solution, Gail, though, because I know that you're friendly with Serena, and I, I think I, at least I, until I'm yesterday, the I was... I'm right now. I'm yes. just waiting. Would wait. you like to apologize? Uh, no. You really do need to answer Charlie's question. What was it? I didn't... I, you're right. Why I wasn't paying attention to do this. Yes. It wasn't necessary. It, it was not necessary. But you knew it would create... I didn't, know, no, I didn't know it would create... You didn't? No. John. Has anybody ever... I've said this a thousand... Bobby Riggs Charlie, mean anything? No apology to Serena, really? Uh, I, listen, I would be happy to apologize, Serena. Gail, if that makes you feel better. Anyone, I think Serena's incredible. I don't want anything to go wrong with Serena because she's pregnant. I don't want to upset her or whatever it was. She's, I think she was doing it tongue-in-cheek as well, and I think the deep down... Okay, the whole thing's ridiculous. This talking. whole thing is just ridiculous and insane, okay? It's totally nuts. You've got the CBS anchors berating him, badgering him over something that is obvious, perfectly obvious. Again, Serena Williams did play a, a practice match with a guy who's ranked like 203rd in the world to win one game off of him. One, okay? Like, no, I'm sorry. She is not as good as the men because she is a girl. And that is just, she's amazing. She'd kick my ass, but that has nothing to do with whether she would be on the professional men's tour. In fact, you know who has said this in the past? You know who has said this in the Some woman named Serena Williams. Here's Serena Williams on David Letterman a couple of years ago. Actually, it's funny because Andy Murray, he oh, he was been joking about um, myself and him playing a match. And I'm like, Andy, seriously, like, are you kidding me? Because for me, tennis and men's tennis and women's tennis are completely almost two separate sports. So I'm like, if I were to play Andy Murray, I would lose 6-0, 6-0 in five to six minutes, maybe 10 minutes. Because it's, no, no, it's it, true. It's honestly, true. It's a completely... Really. It's a completely different sport. The men are a lot faster, and me and um, they they get they serve harder, they hit harder. It's just a different game. And I love to play women's tennis, and I I only want to play girls because I don't want to be embarrassed. I would not do the tour. I wouldn't do Billie Jean any justice. So Andy, stop it. Yeah, we're not gonna. I'm not gonna let you kill me. <laughs> I'm, I'm with you. Okay, so there she is admitting it. Okay, because it's true. Because it's true. But that doesn't stop those CBS anchors from going after Mac. How dare you suggest biological reality? That's just terrible. Actually, my favorite thing of the night last night is uh, Christina Hoff Summers, uh, the, the factual feminist uh, uh, friend of mine. She was tweeting out, <laughs> she was tweeting out, uh, I guess it was uh, book segments from some feminist queer theory book. Uh, and, uh, and there was a segment from some woman who thinks she's a man, a transgender man, uh, talking about how uh, she had given birth. And the, oh, the whole piece was, a man gives birth. And so I tweeted back, what, via the urethra? Like, how would that work? I mean, that's passing a hell of a kidney stone right there. Because the fact is that men can't give birth, gang. Only women can give birth. But this, you speak basic biological truths now, and suddenly you're, it's a problem. Like, I'm up in Canada right now. I'm over in Toronto because I'm going to give a speech tonight. And Jordan Peterson, who we're going to have to have on the show when, when the studio is finally set up totally, uh, Jordan Peterson has basically been reamed out by his own university, by the government, for having the temerity to say things like men are men and women are women. This is the way that we are moving. And in the media, the media are, are pushing that as hard as they possibly can. And then, of course, they are firing every conservative they can get their hands on. Britt McHenry, uh, who was a controversial figure because there was a video of her getting uh, angry at some sort of car attendant at, at one point. Uh, she was fired, and she came out yesterday, and she said, ESPN fired me because I'm conservative, which is perfectly plausible. She said, I mean, I've been openly conservative, 
Look how that ended up, is what she tweeted out yesterday, which is correct, okay? ESPN will fire people who are openly conservative, whether you're talking about Mike Ditka or Kurt Schilling. It doesn't seem to matter. Kurt Schilling's great sin, you recall, was that Kurt Schilling at one point had said that ISIS was like the Nazis. Ooh, they fired him, right? Mike Ditka's great sin is that he didn't support President Obama. Ooh, just so terrible. Unbelievable. But this is how culture bleeds down into politics, and that's why we have to fight back against it. No, sports should be left to sports. They should not turn into the political whims of the, of the radical left. It's really stupid. Okay, we're going to continue by talking about the latest on Trump care, um, plus some things I like, things I hate, and some Bible talk. But for that, you're going to have to subscribe. So go over to dailywire.com right now. Become a subscriber for $8 a month. You too can subscribe over at dailywire.com. You can part of the mailbag, which we'll be doing on Friday. You can watch the rest of the show live. You can get Andrew Clavin's fantastic show live and be part of his mailbag as well. We have another show that's going to be released in the very near future as well. You can get all of that when you become a Daily Wire member. Plus, if you go over, if you want to become an annual subscriber, then you can, uh, for, for the annual price, you get a free signed copy of a book I wrote with my dad, Say It So, all about baseball and fathers and sons, uh, autographed by me. Uh, plus, lock in your rate, whether you're annual or just regular subscriber, lock in your rate right now because the rates are going to go up on July 10th. So they're not going to go up for people who are already subscribed. Now is your window. If you want that low price, then, then make sure that you get your subscription right now. Don't wait until July 11th to do it. Okay, so we're going to continue over on, uh, over on our site. And then if you want to listen later, you can go check out iTunes or SoundCloud. Um, become a subscriber there. Leave us a review. We always appreciate it. Uh, we are the largest conservative podcast in the nation. So now on to the actual big news of the day, which is the Trump care vote. So yesterday, Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell came out and he said, we are going to delay the vote on Trump Care. It was originally scheduled to happen before July 4th. It became clear he didn't have the votes. It looks very much like what happened with the House bill. So as you recall, the House passed. Uh, the, the House tried to pass a bill. It failed. Uh, they brought back a slightly amended version of the bill a few weeks later, and that one passed. It looks a lot like that could happen. Here, here is Senator McConnell explaining why they're, why they're delaying the vote. No, no, we're continuing to talk about it. This is a very complicated subject. I remember how challenging it was for the Democrats when they were enacting this uh, back in 2009 and 2010. It's a big, complicated subject. We've got a lot of discussions going on, and we're still optimistic we're going to get, get there. You spent a lot of time in private writing this bill. You dialed in your conference here. Isn't that an indictment from what you put forth at this stage that it wasn't ready to go? No. Why not? No, it's an ongoing discussion, and uh, members have want, several of them want more time. Uh, we have a number of different discussions going on that have been going on for six weeks now, and they continue. This is a big, complicated subject. If, if none of you have ever covered a big, complicated bill, they're, they're hard to pull together and hard to pass. Okay, so here is the strategy for Mitch McConnell. And unfortunately, it's always the same strategy. That strategy is that you are supposed to attack the conservatives, right? All this is going to be is now an attack on the conservative wing, just the same way that Donald Trump attacked the conservative wing in the House before there were slight revisions that were sort of concessions to them that allowed them to get on board. They're going to play that same game in the Senate because there are only four ways this can go. One is that you could actually pass a good bill that pleased conservatives, but McConnell, Trump, the moderate Republicans, they're not going to do that. We're not going to pressure the moderates. We have to pressure the conservatives. So that's not going to happen. There are three other ways this can go. One is they pass the bill and then Trump claims victory and they'll pressure the conservatives into it. If they pressure the conservatives into it, they have to do 
one of two things. They have to either say, we can live with Obamacare as it is, it'll collapse, and then we'll blame the Democrats. So that's sort of what Trump is saying. And then the second strategy is saying to the conservatives, listen, if you guys don't get on board, we're going to turn, we're going to negotiate with the Democrats. We're going to turn and negotiate with the Democrats. So this is the dual game they're playing. Trump saying to the conservatives, listen, I'll leave it in place. You guys can own the fact that you didn't change it. And I don't care. It'll just go on Obama, right? It's not on my docket at all. Here's what President Trump was saying yesterday. It's melting down as we speak. Rates are going up. In fact, it's very interesting, Lisa, that you're sitting next to me because in Alaska, it was 206 percent, a 206 percent increase in Alaska. And uh, I used to use Arizona as the standard. That was 116 percent. So it's really meltdown. And we're going to try and solve the problem. Uh, So I invited all of you. And I think we have either 52 out of 52 or 50 out of 52. And, John, either one is pretty good, I think, as a percentage. So we're going to talk and we're going to see what we can do. We're getting very close. But for the country, we have to have health care. And it can't be Obamacare, which is melting down. Uh, The other side is saying all sorts of things before they even knew what the bill was. This will be great if we get it done. And if we don't get it done, it's just going to be something that we're not going to like. And that's okay. And I understand that very well. But I think we have a chance to do something very, very important for the public. Very, very important for the people of our country that we Okay, so he's meeting with all these senators, and he clearly has no idea what's in this health care bill. That's one of the great ironies, is that he's here trying to ram through something he doesn't know what it is, which suggests you may as well go for the conservative version of the bill, since he's going to sign off on anything anyway. But that's Trump's strategy, is basically, look, it's not on me. If this fails, it's on you guys and Obama, and then Obamacare will melt down, and that is what it is. So that's his attempt to get conservatives on board. We have a great opportunity, but if you don't get it done well, it'll fail. Then there's McConnell who's threatening his own conservative wing by saying, if you don't get on board, I'm just going to turn to the Democrats and I'm going to work with the Democrats. Here's McConnell saying that yesterday. Well, I think the main thing is, as I've said, the status quo is simply unsustainable. It'll be dealt with in one of two ways. Either Republicans will agree and change the status quo, or the markets will continue to collapse and we'll have to sit down with Senator Schumer, and my suspicion is that any negotiation with the Democrats uh, would include none of the reforms that we would like to make, both on the market side and the Medicaid side. Okay, so this is what politicians try to do. Politicians are in the business of trying to create false binary choices. It's either this or I'm working with Schumer. You either get this or you're getting to get something you hate. Right? And this is what we did during the election cycle. The difference is during the election cycle, there was at least a grain of truth to that because there are two candidates who could win the presidency. Right? At least there's some truth to that. There is no truth to that when it comes to legislation. There are a million different options when it comes to legislation. You can change this. You can change that. The idea that it's either this way or the highway is just nonsense. But this is McConnell trying to blackmail his own people. Either come along with us or we're going to work with the Democrats. Meanwhile, Chuck Schumer is sitting over there just grinning. Because he knows that the Republicans have been fibbing for seven long years about getting rid of Obamacare, and he has a very simple request. He is basically saying, I'm willing to vote for the bill that you have on the table right now. I'm willing to vote for that or something very close to that, so long as you don't even call it Obamacare appeal, because the dirty little secret is the bill isn't Obamacare appeal. So all of this is just about political posturing. Here's Chuck Schumer saying this. Now you say, well, will you work with your Republican colleagues? We want to. And we have two suggestions. First... Abandon tax breaks for the wealthy, abandon cuts to Medicaid, abandon repeal, and we can sit down and talk about improving health care. We think the ACA has done good. 
We're the first to say it needs further improvement. We want to sit down and talk to you about it. But we're not going to be in a position where we say, okay, only 15 million people will be uncovered. We'll support that bill. Okay, so it's all demagoguery, right? It's all dem- it's all demagoguery because whatever changes have to be made have to make the system more solvent, not less solvent, and that is going to involve some cutting because you're not going to be able to make the system solvent in any real way except by increasing the mandates, decreasing the regulations, or cutting Medicaid. Those are the only possible options to make the system more solvent as a general matter. So again, it's everybody playing. I'm, I'm so sick of the kabuki theater, whether it's the media versus Trump and this kabuki slap theater, or whether it's the Democrats versus the Republicans and Obamacare and this kabuki slap theater where the public Republicans don't really repeal Obamacare, but proclaim they did. And the Democrats know that the Republicans aren't repealing Obamacare, but also claim the Republicans are trying to do that and that they must abandon that. Well, we're fighting over scraps at this point. Like policy matters and these policies do matter, but the Republicans have already accepted the Democratic position on this. They're just trying to cut around the edges. And that's very frustrating for conservatives. Warren Buffett uh, is where we're going to end up, okay? Within, by the time we hit 2025, people are going to be openly talking about single payer, not openly talking about it, openly pursuing it. Uh, Warren Buffett said as much yesterday. At the point where the country does need to think about some sort of single payer system, well, in I, some form or another. With my limited knowledge, I think that probably is the... Is, is the best system because it's, it is a system we are such a rich country in a sense we can afford to do it but in almost every field of of american business it pays to bring down costs uh, there's an awful lot of people involved in the medical the whole just the way the ecosystem works that, that there's no incentive to bring down costs and it sounds like you're saying with a single-payer system it'd be easier to figure out a way to get it'd those be costs more down. more effective i think Okay, it's ridiculous, first of all, for him to suggest that single-payer would bring down costs. Ask the NHS in Britain whether that has brought down costs in healthcare while maintaining quality. The answer, of course, is no. But this just shows you, you know, we, we do have real political conflicts in this country. Real conflicts requiring real clarity. The parties obfuscate it, the media obfuscate it, the White House obfuscates it. Because they're too busy fighting over silly things over here on the side when we should be talking about the central issues that actually we disagree about. You know, the central ideological battles, like free markets versus centralized control. When's the last time you heard the Republicans talk about actually freeing the market? Not about number of cover, not about bringing down costs, freeing the market, about individual rights in healthcare. When did we, not only to, to, to access healthcare, but an individual right to compete in the healthcare system and make choices in the healthcare system? When's the last time you heard anybody talk about that? When is the last time you heard anybody talk about the core issues that are, that are facing the country as opposed to these ancillary issues that are based on 127-page bills nobody can read and few people understand? It's really just, it's irritating and it's demonstrative of the fact that everybody in the media and everybody in politics has a stake in keeping your eye over here when the real issue is right here in front of you. Okay, so before we get to things I like and things I hate, we're going to talk about stamps.com. We are so grateful to have their sponsorship. So you're sick of waiting in line at the post office. I know I am too. Actually, last night, my wife turned to me and said, I ordered some stamps and they never came. And I said, well, why didn't you just use our subscription over at stamps.com? Like, you should totally do that. You can print the stamps out. You can tape it onto a piece of of paper. Um, You can put it right on the envelope, you can print it directly onto the envelope, print it on a sticker. They save you time and money, which you can use to grow your business. You can mail any letter, any package using just your computer and the printer, and the mailman picks it up directly from you. Create your Stamps Online account in minutes with no equipment to lease, no long-term commitments. They bring all the services of any U.S. Postal Service right to your fingertips. So right now, go to Stamps.com, click at the microphone at the top of the page, and type in Shapiro. So Stamps.com, promo code Shapiro. 
And that means that you get a four-week trial free, plus postage and a digital scale without long-term commitment. So you can weigh your, your postage, make sure that you're getting it right before you buy your postage. So again, that's a pretty solid deal just for registering over at stamps.com, entering that promo code Shapiro when you click on the microphone. Stamps.com again making it so that you never have to wait in line at the post office again, saving you time and saving you money as well. So check it out, stamps.com. Enter that promo code Shapiro when you click on the microphone. Okay, so time for some things I like and then some things I hate. So things I like, we've been doing podcasts that I recommend this week. So uh, I recommended Dana Perino and Chris Steyerwald's podcast on Monday. Yesterday I recommended Pod Save America, a lefty podcast. Uh, Today I'm recommending what I think is one of the more intelligent podcasts in the business. This is the Commentary Podcast. It's Abe Greenwald, Noel Rothman, and John Podhoretz. Uh, all of them very smart guys on everything from foreign policy to domestic policy. Uh, they tend to be very cynical. It's very caustic, but it does, it's very high-level stuff. I mean, they, they really know what they're talking about. Uh, it's a place to learn. And so the Commentary Magazine podcast, you should go over and check that out uh, right now. Really uh, a solid listen. I think it comes out twice a week. Usually it's on Mondays and Thursdays, I believe. Okay, uh, other things that I like. So Sarah Palin has now sued the New York Times. I think that this is perfectly worthwhile. So Sarah Palin, as you recall, was slandered by the New York Times. They suggested that she was responsible for the shooting of Gabby Giffords, and she says that this is obviously slander, uh, which it is. I mean, this is this is a slanderous accusation by the New York Times, uh, and she has filed an action. Uh, according to the complaint, she says, Mrs. Palin brings this action to hold the Times accountable for defaming her by publishing a statement about her and knew to be false that Mrs. Palin was responsible for inciting a mass shooting at a political event in January 2011. Now listen, as someone who has been the victim of a bunch of frivolous lawsuits on journalistic matters, the most obvious being the clock boy situation, uh, I am not in favor of frivolous lawsuits. This does not seem to me frivolous. Everybody in the world and their mother knew that Sarah Palin had nothing to do with Jared Lee Loeffner. It didn't matter. The New York Times printed it anyway and then used that as the key example of right-wing rhetoric leading to violence. I think she has every right to file this lawsuit. We'll see if she wins because you have to show malice, uh, actual malice. And I'm not sure if you have to show institutional malice, but it seems to me that she should at least have uh, – that's not a case that she'd be dismissed outright. So good for Sarah Palin for defending herself in this case. Okay, time for a couple of things that I hate. Okay, so first thing that I hate, President Trump uh, really needs to stop it on Twitter. When I say stop it, I don't mean attacking the media. That's okay. I mean attacking the media in the dumbest possible way. So today, you know, look, Trump hates the Washington Post. He hates the Washington Post with the fiery fury of a thousand burning suns. Uh, He despises the Washington Post. And to a certain extent, to a, to a certain point, with good reason. I mean, the Washington Post has definitely been out to get him. They've also run a lot of pretty solid reporting on President Trump, and they've run some stuff that annoys him. So yesterday they ran a story that was actually a really funny story about how at, at Trump golf resorts all over the country, there was a Time magazine with Trump on the cover. The problem, it was a fake Time magazine. It, it was like an app that you could print out Trump on the cover of Time magazine. So people were mocking this and making fun of it because it is pretty mockable. I mean, it's pretty ridiculous. Like over at the Daily Wire offices, we don't have a fake cover of me on the cover of Time magazine. Like if I'm going to be on the on the cover of anything, uh, good housekeeping most likely, uh, then I would assume that, uh, that we would grab the cover, but we wouldn't actually just go and mock up a cover. Uh, so it just demonstrates the egotism of Trump for sure. Um, but you know, he doesn't, he doesn't have to take that seriously. He can just, if that were me, I would laugh it off. If I had done something like that, I'd be like, yeah, that was a silly thing to do. Isn't that kind of funny? Well, I mean, now you can't really complain since I'm on the cover of Time magazine every two weeks. I'm the president, right? I mean, that, that would, that's what a normal person would do. Trump instead fires off a tweet 
in which he says, the hashtag Amazon Washington Post, sometimes referred to as the guardian of Amazon, not paying internet taxes, which they should, is fake news. Okay, first of all, it's not even in English. But second of all, this, this linkage between Amazon and the Washington Post, the only link there is that Jeff Bezos owns both. Um, Amazon's a publicly traded company. The Washington Post is owned directly by Jeff Bezos. But what's hilarious about all of this is that Trump has been saying this for months, right? Going all the way back to the campaign, he said, quote, Amazon, which through its ownership controls the Washington Post, should be paying massive taxes, but it's not paying. And it's a very unfair playing field. And you see that's happening and what that's doing to department stores all over the country. Very, very unfair. You're talking about billions and billions of dollars. They should be paying those taxes. Okay, first of all, Amazon does pay tax. I pay tax because I pay California sales tax on Amazon products. Second, the idea that Trump is going to call anybody else on taxes is a little bit weird. Third, there are no internet taxes generally. You don't get, there's no such thing as an internet tax. So Amazon should not pay taxes that do not exist. So uh, all of this, and fourth, you know, the president of the United States really should not be threatening private companies. I've said this before. I've said this going all the way back to Carrier. When the president of the United States threatens private companies, whether it's Obama threatening the car dealerships, uh, the car owners, or whether it is Trump threatening Amazon because he doesn't like Jeff Bezos, it's just ridiculous. It's just, it's just silly. It's silly and it's ridiculous uh, and, uh, and it's frustrating and it's a waste of time. So that is the thing I hate. But that's not the, the chief thing that I hate today. The chief thing that I hate today is that Leslie Jones, uh, who is famous for being a terrible, terrible actress, she can be funny from time to time. She's on SNL and did sort of a self-mocking bit. That was kind of funny. Um, but she is complaining that uh, the people at the Ritz were racist. So she tweeted out, wow was such a great night at the BET Awards, but then had the worst stay at Ritz-Carlton. Do not stay there. They don't like black people. Okay. Um, I've been in a lot of places that have, um, that have bad service. American Airlines. I, I never accused American Airlines of hating Jews. That's why the service sucked. I assume that the service sucked because the service sucked. She didn't say why all of this happened. The Ritz-Carlton just tweeted back, we're very sorry to hear this. We pride ourselves on providing excellent service to all. Please DM us and we'll look into this right away. And then uh, the Ritz-Carlton gave some pathetic statement about diversity and inclusion. Again, Leslie Jones has, like, there, again, there, there, is no, there is no actual evidence of racism here, but she's accusing people of racism without evidence. Yeah, I watched this movie on the plane yesterday called Get Out, uh, and it's really well done. It's by uh, Jordan Peele, who is the, the other half of Key and Peele. Um, and he is a, a very talented guy, obviously. There are two ways to read the movie. One is the way that he made it, and one is the sort of, uh, is the sort of more cynical view. The, the way that he made it was, this is how life really is for black people. It's, it's about this black guy who's dating a white girl. She takes him home to her family, and it turns out basically that it's the Stepford Wives. That's the and so he takes her. Uh, she takes him home, and her parents are Obama liberals who uh, who want to basically turn black people into zombies, more or less. Um, and so the the way to one way to read that is as like a parody of white liberals. I know that Andrew Clavin loved this movie because he bought into that idea that white liberals want to soul suck black people, sort of, or at least they are fully capable of doing so. The other way to read this is about a certain racial paranoia that exists uh, among certain members of a lot of different ethnic communities, suggesting that the white prevailing class, even people who want to help you are out to get you, even people who will have sex with you, right, she's his girlfriend, even even people who want to have sex with you, they're really out to pervert you and, and take advantage of you. That's really what this is about. Okay, when you go into life with the perspective that everyone is out to screw you, 
you will find evidence that people are out to screw you, but it's just possible that they suck at things or that they're bad at things or that they're mean or that they're nasty to everyone, right? Adam Carolla used to say this all the time. He said, if I were a black guy and I got pulled over by the police, I might assume that it was because the police were racist. But as a white guy being pulled over by the police, I just assume they're pulling me over because they're jerks, right? That, that seems like a more plausible explanation. But if your first impulse is to run to racism, then you're going to be able to find evidence to back up your view of the universe. Okay. Time for a little bit of quick Bible talk. So as I've mentioned a couple of times over the past few weeks, we've now gone through the entire Old Testament uh, section by section over the last year. So now we've moved on to some of the uh, some of the prophets and the writings because there's a corresponding piece of prophets and writings that Jews read every week after they read the section from the Torah. So this is one of the weirder sections of the prophets. This is the story of Jephthah, uh, the Gileadite, uh, Yiftach, the Gileadite. Uh, Yiftach is a weird character. So He's a weird character because he's basically described as a thug. There are a bunch of the judges. Before the kingship of David, there are a bunch of judges who are basically thugs. Like Samson, he's created as a hero in a lot of the biblical literature. But Samson is a giant thug who does a bunch of terrible things. Not only does he intermarry uh, and shame his parents, apparently, but then he kills people randomly and burns down their fields. He's really a jerk, right? And Yiftach is another one of these, right? It says that he was basically thrown out because he was a thug, right? He was a, a mighty man of valor, and he was the son of a woman harlot, and, uh, the, and Gilead begot Jephthah, and Gilead's wife bore him sons, and the, son, the wife's sons grew up and drove Jephthah out. They said, you are not inheriting because you're the son of another woman. And then he basically gets together a band of ruffians, and then they're under attack from the, from the kingdom of Ammon, and he takes control. And then we get to the end of this particular section, and he's about to go to war, and he says, he vows a vow to the Lord, and he says, if you will indeed deliver the children of Ammon into my hand, it will be whatever comes forth that shall come forth from the doors of my house toward me when I return in peace from the children of Ammon shall be to the Lord, and I will offer him for a burnt offering. And Jephthah passed over the children of Ammon to fight against them, and God let him win. And then, the, the, this part is not included in this section, and then he comes home, and his daughter is the first thing to come out of the house. And so there are commentaries who try to explain it away by saying that he actually just sent his daughter to basically live in a monastery somewhere. Um, but the basic textual reading is that he then participated in human sacrifice. Okay, so what to make of all of this? Well, here's what to make of all of this. Just because somebody is your leader does not mean that they are a good person. It also does not mean that everything that they do is good. Maybe they're good at leading you, but they are also really bad for the moral spirit of your country, or they are really bad in what they do personally. We have this halo effect. It's a psychological effect. When you see somebody who is good-looking or somebody who is smart, you tend to attribute all the other great qualities to them. Yiftach was a mighty man of valor, but that does not mean that he was a mighty man of goodness. And nowhere in the Bible does it call him a mighty man of goodness. I think that one of the great things about the Bible is that it draws these characters in all of their flaws. Uh, this is certainly more than a flaw. I mean, this is a, a, an evil crime for which he ends up you know, paying a pretty significant price a little bit later on. But uh, the bottom line is that uh, before we start granting illusions of grandeur to people who really do not deserve them, let's acknowledge that some people are good at certain things, but that doesn't mean that they are good at everything or that they are good people. Okay, we'll be back here tomorrow with more. I am Ben Shapiro. This is The Ben Shapiro Show. We'll get to more on this in just one second first. Pure Talk believes in American values and that free should mean, you know, like free. So when you switch to Pure Talk today, you'll get a free Samsung 5G smartphone. There's no four-line requirement, no activation fee, just a free Samsung that's built to last with a rugged screen, quick charging battery, and top-tier data security. Qualifying plans start at just 35 bucks a month for unlimited talk, text, 15 gigs of data, and a mobile hotspot. Pure Talk gives you phenomenal coverage on America's most dependable 5G network. It's the same coverage you know and love, but for half the price of the other guys. The average family saves almost $1,000 a year. So, 
I challenge you to choose a company that actually doesn't hate your guts and shares your values. Let Pure Talk's expert U.S. customer service team help you make the switch today. Go to puretalk.com slash Shapiro to claim your eligibility for your free brand new Samsung 5G smartphone and start saving on wireless today. Again, go to puretalk.com slash Shapiro to switch to my cell phone company. I've been using them for years. They're fantastic. You'll love them as well. Go to puretalk.com slash Shapiro and claim your eligibility on that free brand new Samsung 5G smartphone. Start saving.